I want to ask you to turn with me to the 86th Psalm. In Luke's Gospel, the 18th chapter, our Lord is giving, I think, one of the greatest truths that he ever gave concerning prayer. And uh, Brother Gary has just reminded us in song that when the windows of heaven are open, that's where the blessings come from. And uh, I'm glad God has let us know how that we can get those windows of blessing open upon us. And uh, while you're turning, let me ask you also, look in Luke chapter 11. It's hard for me to point out this truth in Luke 18 without looking at a related truth here in the 11th chapter. Now, we'll read these verses, and then we'll actually uh, refer back here. I brought a message some couple Thursday nights ago, and I'd mentioned that in the beginning of the year, I considered that message to be one of the keys that would cause God to put his blessing upon us as a church, as families, as individuals. And some of you recall that I said that evening that there was another message that I felt God wanted me to bring in connection to that message. I talked about the Word of God that night and talked about our relationship to the Bible if we're going to have God's blessing upon us. And uh, tonight, this truth is connected with that truth. I don't believe we can separate them if we have the blessings of God upon us as a church. In Matthew, or rather in Luke 11, our Lord has been asked by his disciples to teach them to pray. And he gave what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer. I prefer to call it Disciples' Prayer. It's a model prayer. And uh, he went in detail, and Matthew uh, also records the almost the identical prayer. It was given at two different times. Our Lord, moving around, gave his messages over and over, and sometimes they were recorded at different times, and they might be worded a little bit different, emphasis upon something uh, a little bit different way. But when Luke gave the account, Luke adds a parable that Matthew didn't give. That's in verse 5, Luke 11, verse 5, And he said unto them, now keep in mind, still in answering their question, Lord, teach us to pray. So this is still a part of his answer. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journeys come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. He from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he'll rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now don't miss the key. It's that word, importunity. A word that we're not too familiar with in our day, but uh, if I could just sort of uh, change the wording but not the meaning, he's talking about his shameless persistence. Here's a fellow knocking on the door. Our Lord's telling the story. And the man inside says, get away from my door. We're in the bed. It's uh, midnight hour. We're asleep. And because this man's need is so great and he's so urgent to have that need met, he won't leave that door. He keeps knocking at that door, and Jesus says in his story, 
The man inside didn't give him what he wanted because of the friendship relationship. But it's because of his importunity. Because he wouldn't take no for an answer. Because he wouldn't quit. Now notice how our Lord uh, enforces this truth. And reinforces it, I should say. Verse 9, I say unto you, talking to his disciples, talking to us tonight, ask, and it shall be given you. Now, you can check those that know the original language and you'd, you'd find that in the, in the tense that he's using here, he's saying this, ask and keep on asking. Uh, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And he says, verse 10, for everyone that asketh, receive it. That is, everyone that asks and keeps on that. Everyone that has an a, a element of importunity in his prayer, that has some persistence in his prayer, has some heart in his prayer, he won't quit. A lot of us will I'll pray a little prayer and nothing happens, we quit. We don't have a prayer life. We don't stay with God till he answers prayer. And so our Lord says it's because of importunity. Now in the 18th chapter, he uh, picks up on prayer here again. And uh, to me, I repeat, it's one of the greatest encouragements for us to pray anywhere in the Bible. Chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke, in verse 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Now, we go to study God's Word. There's always a key that opens every passage of Scripture. And when you find the key, the Scripture will become more meaningful to you. Sometimes you have to look closely to find it. You'll find it tucked in a little phrase he uses. Sometimes it's in the midst of the passage. Sometimes it's sort of at the back door of the passage. You have to read it all to find it. But here he hangs the key at the front door. In this parable, he don't leave us hanging and wondering what he's talking about. He's going to tell us in the very beginning why he's giving it. He said, to this end, to this purpose, why? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That means lose heart. That's uh, the word, if he was describing and using the terminology he'd used in that day, if a bridge was caving in and the support gave way, it's the same word. I fear our prayer lives are like that sometimes. We're sort of caving in. We're sort of losing heart. And our Lord said, I want to show you something so you won't lose heart in your prayer life. And in this parable he gave again, he's <clears throat> given a picture that in that day, I don't suppose he could have given a picture of a person that was more helpless. You see, uh, womanhood had not been elevated at that point as it has today. And to picture a, a poor widow, and to picture her before a ruthless, hateful judge. And, uh, I mean, she's at the mercy of that man. He has no mercy. He's an atheistic kind of a fellow. He has no fear for God. Even if he does believe there's a God, he doesn't respect God, and he's not just, he don't care for man. And our Lord pictures her going to him. And I repeat, when, when his audience heard that, uh, there was pity in their hearts, if they had any, to say the least, any, any kindness. They pitied this woman because there's a pitiful creature. But you notice how she won out. Let's read the little story that he gave. Now keep in mind, it's about prayer. So he said, don't lose heart in your praying. He said, I'll give you a little story that'll help you to keep on praying. Now, please don't miss, the, miss what he's saying. Don't try to picture comparison here so much. The, the, the idea is not, God's not like this judge. 
He's the opposite of that judge. If you try to compare this parable, you see it's in contrast what he's trying to tell us. Even though there's a judge so wicked and, and unkind and mean, finally he gave in. But don't, don't get the picture that you've got to twist God's arm and try to get God to keep him being reluctant. That's not it at all. He's saying we've got a loving Father ready to help us, but even that, most of us still don't pray. You say, why have persistence? Are you listening? It's not getting God in a good humor. Persistence in prayer shows that I mean business in my heart. I preached in a conference last night in a, uh, and, and to some preachers, and my message was the Lord said he didn't commit himself to certain people, just came because they were sort of miracle mongers. They saw his miracles. They wasn't committed. They wanted to see, you know, it's out of curiosity. And John tells us chapter 2, he didn't commit himself to them. He knew them. He did not even by tell him. He knew them. And you know why he didn't commit to them? They wasn't committed to him. You know who the Lord will commit himself to? To those that will commit themselves to him. We want the Lord to commit to us and do something for us. He said, okay, you make a commitment, I'll make a commitment back to you. You mean business, I'll mean business. And so don't get the picture that he's sort of trying to paint God being reluctant and hard and mean. That's not it at all. He's saying, though, even though a poor widow could get a reluctant, hard judge to change his mind, we have a loving Father, and yet many of us do not have a persistent prayer life. We're spasmodic. We hit and miss. Bottom fall out, we'll pray a little bit. Things going pretty well if we pray. Sometimes I fear we're not praying with the sincerity that he demands from a heart that's trusting and believing. He says that there was a, in a city a judge. Feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but after it he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this would have troubled me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming. Don't miss that. Her continual coming, she weary me. The Lord said here what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The crying day and night, it just shows they're persistent. They, you see, prayer really is an attitude. Prayer is a way of life. Paul says pray without ceasing. Don't mean we're on our knees all the time. It means we're in communion with him to the point that we are conscious and just like a, a mother, never a mother in this room can relate to what I'm about to say. When that little one came into your home. That little one was just, I mean, just a little fella, a little lady in that home. Uh, mothers somehow, uh, they have a way, even though they're asleep, they keep, a, they keep an ear tuned. I said to Joe one night, uh, well, one morning, I said, about one of the children, I believe it was Paul. I said, boy, Paul's a good baby. He never even makes a noise in the night. <laughs> she said, he doesn't do what? <laughs> I said, he make a noise. She said, I'm going to turn recorder on. That's the only way you didn't play it back. I said, you, you're so sound asleep, you can't hear it. But you see, mothers have a way of listening without ceasing. They're asleep. But you see, there's a, down inside, there's a conscience. They've got a little one over there somewhere. And uh, that's what he's saying about praying. When all of a sudden you need some wisdom, you need to make a decision, we ought not take us have to be, get on praying ground and do a lot of confessing and have to go get right with somebody and maybe try to. No, he's saying. 
a normal Christian life. I read something from Spurgeon the day that gripped my heart. I love to read Spurgeon, one of my heroes of history. Spurgeon said, if he wouldn't charge me with bragging, he said this. As, uh, I started saying, old man, he didn't live to be real old. He died in his middle 50s. But at the close of his ministry, Spurgeon said, I think I'm safe in saying, if he won't charge me with bragging, in my wake hours, I've never let over 15-minute period of time pass without me being conscious of Jesus Christ. Oh, my. I read that, and the Lord seemed to say, you want to know why? Forty years, he packed big buildings out, and the people came, and the blessings of God was there. God seemed to say, he's like a branch and uh, in touch with a vine, and kept the blessings upon him. So our Lord is going to tell us tonight that we need to learn to pray in a way and not lose heart, not quit, not give up. And then he says this. Look at verse 8 while we're here. After saying God will avenge or answer or meet the need, and he's telling it in the, in the form of the courtroom scene there again when he says, I tell you he'll avenge them speedily. But note this question, nevertheless, even though he just got through saying that about God, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, looking way out through the future, I, at least up to our day, and I don't know that the Lord's coming in our lifetime. I'm sincere when I say that I believe he is, but uh, when the Lord cometh, shall he find faith on earth, on the earth? Now, don't, don't take that statement out of its context. You'll never understand the Bible unless you leave the text in its context. He's not talking about saving faith. When he comes back, of course, he's coming for the body of Christ. He's coming for the church. He's coming for people that's trusted him by faith. What's he talking about? Really, literally, he tells us, you know what he said? When the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of faith? Kind of faith this poor would have had? Kind of faith that, that'll keep us, on, keep us praying even when it doesn't look like there's a way out? Kind of faith that won't take no for an answer? Kind of faith that just keeps on believing God? Now, he's still talking about prayer and, connecting it together, he spake a, this parable to certain which trusted in themselves. A man that's self-righteous will never pray that way. He doesn't feel a need. The biggest hindrance to answered prayer is our own sufficiency, our own pride. I feel like I can handle it while I pray half the night. I feel like I, the need can be met some other way. I mean, the hardest thing this old flesh will ever do is to have a persevering prayer life. And so still talking about prayer, he's going to tell us about two men now. One of them got a prayer answered, and the other didn't get a prayer answered. Still talking about prayer. So he, he gave this parable to certain which trusted in themselves. They were righteous and despised others. Those two things usually goes together. A man's self-righteous. He usually treats other people with contempt and despises them because they don't measure to his self-righteous standards. So this was the Pharisees he's talking about. Two men went up into the temple to pray. You're talking about prayer here. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with, him, with himself. He's not talking to God. His prayer is taken up with himself. Praying within himself. He's not reaching God, but thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And you can feel all of that pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, thanking God that he's not his other man. Not realizing if he's indifferent, it was God's mercy that made him that way. And then he says, not his other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. 
I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, showing us a little bit about his attitude, but smote up on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sort of put his hand over his heart, recognizing where his need and problem was. Our Lord, in giving this parable, this story, says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. God heard his prayer rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, don't divorce those two. Most of the time we preach on prayer, we read the first eight verses and leave this other one alone. But he's going to show us that unless we have humility of heart, we'll never, never pray like this poor widow did because... I repeat, my pride will keep me uh, from God's blessings because pride is that ego self-sufficient attitude. And who would pray if he feels like he can make it without it? Now, back in the 86th Psalm tonight, I want to speak on the subject, how to approach God in time of need. And I'm just going to take a little time here tonight. I want to point out something that the Lord pointed out to me this week, I've never preached, uh, I've preached from this psalm, but I've never preached this message in the way that I purpose to share it with you tonight. The 86th psalm, you notice quickly in your Bible that it's a prayer of David. To be honest, I outlined this to share on Saturday morning, and God just impressed me, said there's folk here on Thursday that do not come on Saturday morning, and I want you to share it Thursday night. And... Uh, in the first four verses, we look at David's attitude toward God. Now keep in mind that God had this put in the Psalms for us to follow. It's the kind of prayer that if we would use uh, uh, his approach here, we can come in, come in the presence of God, time of need, and have our needs met. And then in the latter part of the Psalm, well, verse 5 down to verse 13, really, we notice God's attitude toward David. So we could say, since we make it our prayer tonight, we could say in the first four verses, if we're going to pray the kind of prayer that will receive an answer, how to approach God in time of need, and he urges these petitions of his upon the, upon the, the ground of some known fact about himself and about God. And if you'll study the use of the word for, I've circled it. Sometimes in my Bible study, I'll take just a word a thought, word connection. And when this begins to open up, I circle eight times he uses that word. And each time, he, I repeat, he urges his request upon a known fact. Four of them have to do with him toward God. The other four has to do with God's attitude back toward him. Verse 1, there's the word for Verse 2, there's the word for. You may want to circle them or at least put a check by it or a mark under it. Verse 3, there's the word for. Verse 4, there's the word for. Verse 5 starts with that word for. Simply saying because of something. This is a basis he's coming to. Verse number 7, down in the middle of it, you'll find the word again for. Verse 10 starts off with the word for. And verse 13 starts off with the word for, because of something, of course, what he's saying. 
And he urges his prayer. He urges this petition upon some known facts. And then he looks at the blessings that he's expecting back because of some things that he knows about God. Oh, that he'd speak to our hearts tonight. Let's read together. Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I'm poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I'm holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble I'll call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me among the gods and keep in mind that in David's world there was a lot of idolatry and heathen pagan people worshipped all kind of gods and they had idols to their gods so he says among the gods there's none like unto thee O Lord neither there are any works like unto thy works all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee O Lord and shall glorify thy name for thou art great and doest wondrous things Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I'll walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I'll praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I'll glorify thy name forevermore. Great is thy mercy toward me. Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good. They which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast opened me and comforted or encouraged me. David's approach to God was based upon some facts. The first four shows how this man of God came in the presence of God. You may want to just jot down some words and you have the message already. I don't even feel we need a lot of comment here. It just sort of speaks for itself as you read it. But the first thing that David does is that he pleads his own need. That's his plea. Look at verse 1. David has a need and he knows it. And David's need is great. He says, bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. And he bases it upon the fact that he's a needy creature. For I'm poor and needy. And don't miss me here, but until our need becomes apparent, we won't have a prayer life. As long as we feel like there's some other way we can handle it. I'm not talking about saying prayers now. I'm not talking about just, you know, our lay me down to sleep kind of praying, our our table praying and our even family altar praying. I'm for all of that. Don't miss what I'm saying. But I'm talking about the kind of praying that's this word we're going to look at in a moment that's involving supplication. Involving the kind of praying Jesus used in importunity. And a, a poor widow that wouldn't take no for an answer. We'll never have that kind of praying until we come to the place that our need is so overwhelming that, I mean, we've, we've gone out so far we can't swim back. We're out on a limb somewhere, and the limb's about to be cut off. 
all the props being kicked out from under us, and we, and we, we sense and feel then how helpless we are, then we'll come to the place that we can approach God. But I repeat, as long as that I feel like there is another way, instead of paying a price in prayer, if I'm not careful, I'll be resorting to that other way out and not waiting on God. Now, don't miss what I'm saying here. Thank God for his blessing. Thank God for meeting needs. You know, sometimes one of the greatest blessings, even it may be in disguise, one of the greatest blessings is when God lets the bottom fall out for us. Talk about spiritual blessings now. Sometimes God knows how, how sufficient and humanly sufficient we, we tend to become. You remember that church he wrote to, the last church in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the church of the Laodiceans? And they were bragging about they were increased with goods and had need of nothing. You know what he said to them? He said, you know not that you're wretched and poor and blind and miserable. Now, there's a wealthy church, new buildings and everything else. But he said, spiritually, you're blind to the fact that you're poor and you're miserable and you're deceived. They had a need, but they didn't know it. David's first approach to God was David began to plead his need. He said, oh, God, I am poor and I'm needed. You know, one of the, one of the Beatitudes our Lord gave when he said, blessed are this, uh, blessed is this group and Blessed is this one. And uh, he said, blessed are you when you uh, hunger and thirst and the pure in heart. But you know what one of them was? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, don't miss what he's saying. He's not talking about poor spirited people. He's not talking about if we're cowed and timid and have no sentiment. Enough. That's not, he didn't say poor spirited. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He means by that spiritually, it's a blessing to know we're bankrupt. To know spiritually that we don't have what it takes. To know spiritually we're empty before God. And he said that's a blessed when a blessing when a person comes to the place that they just know they don't have it. And therefore, in humility, they'll humble themselves and wait before God. The parable that our Lord gave, the last one I read, you noticed the difference there, didn't you, in that Pharisee? He didn't say, have mercy on me. He didn't feel a need of it. He didn't have a need, he didn't think. Now, he had needs. But in his self-righteous attitude, he didn't even know he needed God. He began to brag about what he did. I do this, and I do that, and I do the other. But Jesus said, the other poor fellow just said, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What, why give that story? Well, one of them had a need, and he knew it. And he had humility enough to admit his need. And the other fellow, arrogantly, why he just stood there and looked up towards God and bragged about all he did. And Jesus said, I tell you, the fellow that got answer to his prayer was the man that had a need and knew it and had humility enough to admit his need. Did you know us poor creatures and needy as we are, sometimes we're so full of self. It hurts us to even tell someone else that we have needs. I was reading something about the Apostle Paul today along this line, and God spoke to my needy heart. Paul would write letters, and of course, we're still benefiting from them, writing to those churches. And you know what Paul oftentimes would put into his epistles? He wrote those churches. He'd say, brethren, pray for me. Brethren, pray for me. You mean Paul with that brilliant mind? Paul with has been as useful as he'd been? Paul that, that knew the Bible like he did? And yet Paul had a need to the point that he begged people everywhere he went. He said, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. We're not careful sometimes. Our pride likes us to feel we can make it without praying. As we approach God, do you feel that need? And I'm talking spiritually. 
I know there's times we have physical, emotional, financial needs, and I think we can pray about any need in any realm tonight. If we have a legitimate need, I believe God, our Heavenly Father, says you bring your requests, you, you bring them all. But you know what our greatest needs are tonight? I don't know all the physical needs represented here and all the emotional maybe and all the financial, but I know what the greatest needs in this building tonight are. You know what they are? They're spiritual in nature. There's somebody depending on warm bread from us. You see, when he gave that story, he's talking about somebody getting the warm bread from heaven, the bread of life, and taking it to a hungry soul. And there's somebody depending on you and me being a spiritual blessing and giving them warm bread. And that's an impossibility uh, from the standpoint of the Spirit of God. And until we can come to that place and say, oh, my God, I'm helpless. I can't do it. I was counting my blessings. And Brother Gary has led us in songs tonight that just went right along three or four of them, right along just three of them at least. Just exactly what God's been talking to me today about. And I was counting my blessings this afternoon in some areas that I didn't want to be negligent in and say, oh, God, forgive me for forgetting some different areas you've been good to us in. And I just sort of let him take me back 20 years, nearly 21 now, 20 years of trying to preach the Word of God. And I was overcome with emotion as God warmed my heart over there in that study as he just began. And I began to reminisce and just say, Lord, oh, how good you were there. How good you were at that time. How good you was in that area. How wonderful you was in this situation. Did you know that's a therapy that'll, that'll do the inner man good? Is just sit down sometime and uh, not asking for a thing, but just saying, Lord, if you'll remind me of how good you've been and let me just reflect upon it, I promise you it has a way of putting peace in the heart, putting a praise down inside, and there's just something about it, it causes sort of like a, a spiritual uh, a chemistry and therapy that takes place, and it just sort of, I mean, it does that which nothing else can do. And I was there praising him, and while I was praising him, I was also just holding up before him some dreams that I have for us here as a church. And I was saying, Lord, you never change. And uh, you've got something. And I do have some dreams for us here as a church. And I believe that God's got something wonderfully sweet and precious in store for this good church. And I praise him for the privilege of being a part of it. But he seemed to say to me, and God has been good, this unworthy preacher, if you let me just digress and be personal a minute. Uh, much more than I've ever deserved. Oh, how God in places was good to this preacher in our first ministry, and God was good to us the three years or so we were out here, and then back in the other pastorate as a pastor and people, and God seemed to say to me, I guess if you let me say it without boasting, and I won't worry you a lot of repetition, you most of you have heard it, but I guess the time that I saw the hand of God in the most un- unusual and unique way in my ministry was the year 77, 78, 79, and 80. I was in that pastorate six years, but the first two years, well, I would say the second year, I saw God begin to break a little. But in honesty, I couldn't say we had revival till 77, 78, 79, and 80. As I thought about it this afternoon, as I'm thinking about something now, oh, with fear and trembling, I start to mention it, lest I put my, my hand on God's glory. Are you listening? Oh, when God broke through. In one service, we sort of had an anniversary service on our second anniversary over there. We had 52 people saved that morning. 52. 30 of them came forward in that one building just came over. And most of them were just fell on the and waiting for some workers to get through. You say you're bragging? I'm saying God came through. Oh, what led up to that? 
My, the times when the people, and I'm not tooting my horn, I'm not just saying, little hurt their dad. God forbid. I saw people buy these dozens and scores get such a burden before God. And waited on God. We signed up. We had two, we had two weeks, almost two, about ten days, round the clock prayer meeting. Not an hour prayer meeting on Saturday morning. Round the clock prayer meeting. And some of them that didn't even sign would come in over there three or four o'clock in the morning after about a week passed, got under such burden and urgency, they wouldn't go home. Over there in those buildings sometime at two or three in the morning, rooms are full of people. But none of them did that till that sense of need gripped their heart. Begin to feel the need. We had $100,000 had to be paid in the red. Came out with a scheme to lock the building. Oh, I was never more embarrassed. I just believe in paying bills, and it's embarrassing to have to try to answer phones. And when and they say, oh, we've heard this for three or four years, and they've got to lock up. I said, give us, please, just, I said, would you give me an extension? I said, give me, and, and they gave me 30 days. I went to every bank in town and made fun of them. Went to loaning institutions, and they made fun of us. <laughs> How long have you been there? I told them, he said, I've checked the record. We can't let money out. And I don't say that to reflect on anyone. My heart goes out to the preacher there before me and some of the hardships he went through and the church stood up to I don't, I don't, I don't reflect on him tonight. So unless you think I'm putting someone down, I don't do that. I called him a time and said, my brother, my heart goes out to you. Build it up and then I'd leave him and there he was with that big indebtedness. I took the church thinking $10,000 would operate and bring it up to date. I went and borrowed $10,000 in Texas Church. And it was more like a hundred and eighteen, than the other. We had 30 days. 30 days. We put two little groups of people together. Out of both of them, made about 60 people. And uh, they, we put them together, but they wasn't getting together. You know what I'm talking about. Tension. Uh, hurt feelings, any any baby stuff. Lord, I wonder if I'm gonna ever get the same again. When I come, he got to lead it, and they didn't let me. We had two of everything. You put two of everything on the same roof, and they're sitting back seeing which one which is gonna be favorable to them. You're talking about a powder keg, especially when that that hundred and some thousand dollars became apparent that I didn't know. I said, Lord, I got a schedule two years. Would you let me go back on the road? Felt like saying, Lord, what did I do to you? <laughs> but I, I'm being facetious. I'm joking, of course, when I say that. I knew God put me there. And I knew God knew $118,000 was owed before I got there. But I also knew that God wanted us to know that he only meets needs through answers to prayer. And he just closed every door, everywhere we looked. I'm talking about approaching God. One of the first things we have to approach is on the basis of our need, and we won't pray much until we know that need is there. Now, that was a great need, and that was beyond anything I could even figure out and how to meet a need. But I, basically, if somehow we could realize how great our spiritual needs are, there's not a way in this world we can influence anyone, be a blessing to anyone apart from God. Don't see how clever we are and how trained we are and how personable we are? Uh, that, that's just tinkling symbol and sounding bright. It falls back. I don't care how, 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 how masterless preachers you've studied and put your outline together. It'll fall flat if God's not on it. 
We won't seek God's power until we've come to the place we know, oh, God, I'm helpless without you. And people started praying. People started giving money. There's people, God, bless the people that did. There's people sold property. There's people wanting got personal loans. I'm talking about people, some that uh, worked in places that made, oh, when, uh, wasn't, wasn't even making up the power wages and just, just getting by. And yet they went and got loans, some a thousand, some two thousand, and brought the money and said, Preacher, God told us to give it. Week before, deadlines coming to an end. We had all but $40,000, maybe forty-two. Calling all night for me. Nowhere else could go. And what the early church did when they was going to cut the head off with their preacher? They didn't go downtown to Herod's headquarters and march on, on his headquarters. What good would that have done? Herod, that fox Jesus called him. What did he care? They were getting their banners and forming a march downtown Jerusalem. The church got together and began to petition heaven. Somehow we leave that to last now. As if, you know, as one fellow said, well, I'm going to call the church and have them to pray for him. The other fellow said, has it come to that? <laughs> as if, you know, and really that ought to instead of being the last resort, that ought to be the, our first impression in any situation. We're going to God. One morning, in fact, that next morning, a brother had been praying with us all through that, crawled over the side of me and said, I'll be back in a little bit. God told me to give some money today. Came back in with a $40,000 check. I felt like saying, man, why didn't you do that a week ago? <laughs> but you know, sometimes God waits just to the last. That church jumped from the wall, three or four hundred. 600, 700, 800, 900 on Sundays, putting them everywhere, buses, buildings next door, big old school building over there. Somebody said, just a big bus church. Well, we didn't run buses Sunday night. They'd come back 600, driving in. You say you're bragging? I'm saying when God's people praise, God works. The kind of praying that puts God in it. There's methods of getting a whole city in a church, but if God's not there, you can't keep them, and you can't help them while you have them there. I'm interested in getting everybody we can, but I'm not interested in just having a crowd of people unless we have a spiritual ministry that we can do something for people and meet their needs when they come to the house of God. And he tells us whether we're talking about a personal need or a family need or a, or a need in the church, he's saying, David said, here's the way you approach God. He did it with a sense of his need. Now the rest of them just comes out of that one. That's why I've labored that point. Look at the second one. He says, for I'm holy. I can almost hear someone say, but David, aren't you mistaken? You committed adultery. You had a man killed. You're not holy, David. Well, David did commit some terrible sins, but David had gotten right with God. Now the word holy, uh, we can be be a little, little more clear to us here. He's talking about his consecration. We've learned already in, over in Corinthians one night that the word holy and sanctification is one and the same word. It means to be set apart. You know what he's really saying? For, let me put in everyday terminology. He's saying, Lord, I have a great need. Then he said, Lord, I'm set apart for you. David was simply saying, not bragging, but he's saying, Lord, 
I'm yielded to you. I'm consecrated. I'm, whole, I'm sanctified in the sense, Lord, I'm not taken up for known sin. Did you know if we're taken up for sin in our life tonight, if there's unconfessed, unrepented sin in our heart and life, there's no sense in really praying unless we're asking him to forgive it. You're not going to have any power with God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. That's a promise from the Bible. Isaiah knew better than pray with known sin in his life. He said, the Lord's hand's not shortened. He said, his ear's not heavy. But he said, it's your sins that's caused him to hide his face. What David is saying, if you let me just put it in everyday terminology, he's saying, Lord, I'm consecrated to you. I belong to you. I'm set apart for you. Ask ourselves that tonight. We're going to have power in prayer. We're going to have to come to the place we really, we really know our need because, you see, we, we, we're going to trust ourselves for something else. We don't really sense that need. But then we're going to have to meet God's condition. If I'm wrong with anybody in this, in, in this world, really, that I know of, and I haven't done anything about it, God says, you get reconciled to, to your fellow man, your brother. You go, you go get right with him, and then you come and I'll listen to you. If I refuse to forgive, God said, I won't forgive you. If I, if I have sin, that I'm t- I preached an entire message here. I got the thought here before me. Some of you remember on a Sunday morning, the problem of unanswered prayer. And some of you, and some of you heard me say it last Saturday morning and, and in the prayer meeting sir, Sunday evening. Well, he came to talk to him, and he told me, he said, prayer don't work. <laughs> well, he was pretty blunt about it. I said, don't work. He said, don't work. He said, I've listened to you preachers, but he said, prayer just don't work. I said, well, I said, suppose you came in here tonight, and he was in my study, and I said, we flipped this switch on, and the lights didn't come on. Would you say electricity doesn't work? Sensible people wouldn't. Sensible thinking people wouldn't say electricity has failed, electricity doesn't work. Sensible people would say that something has broken the connection. Might be wise first to see if the bill's been paid, amen? I mean, that'll sometimes knock it out if the bill's not paid. And then find out the bill's paid, then, then sensible people that would have some, some expertise in that field, especially that knows how, they'd begin to, to, to investigate to see if somewhere connection's broken. I said, my friend, instead of saying prayer doesn't work, you might check up to see if the connection's been broken. I told him here last Saturday morning about an old time I read from, oh, it goes way back, you know, the telephone when he used to do this with it. <laughs> He's on a party line, seven or eight people on it, down yonder in northern Alabama. He said, we don't have often, but boy, we have an ice storm, we have one. He said, we had one, just froze up everything. And said that old telephone wouldn't work. And said a group of us got together to find out. They called it ringing in the central station. And said nobody could get through. And we, we took off to see what in the world. Said maybe probably lines down. I stoned it and it's fallen. So we took off to trace it down. And said we got way over there and a line had been blown up and twisted around the limb. And said between that, uh, in that twist of the wire, there was a big old hoot owl had gotten in there and trapped and froze to death. And he was on that line. And he said we got that old dead hoot owl off the line. <laughs> And we was able to ring Central Station. Amen. Sometimes there may be a dead hoot owl on the line. Amen. That'll sure keep you from getting through. That'll keep you from getting an answer. If there's, if there's something, if I regard iniquity, God said, I will not hear. Or oh, if we ever have a need so urgent, maybe you've got a loved one you need to get saved. Maybe you have a ministry you need God's power upon. You ever really get urgent and you sense your needs, you'll be willing to get right with people. You'll be willing to get sin out of your life. You'll be willing to straighten up. You'll be willing to say, oh God, I'm holy, I'm set apart, I'm sanctified, I'm clean, Lord. That's what it means. Not only does he plead, plead his need and plead his, his consecration, but 
He pleads his persistence. Look at verse 3. That's why I read those parables. He said, Be merciful to me, O God, for... Notice the word for each time. For I cry unto thee daily. David's just not spasmodic, saying a little prayer when it's convenient, then just living a life that no prayer time. Let me just, and then, please don't respond anyway, but let me ask you a question. What time do you meet God daily? You have a quiet time with God? You have time that you put priority on? Do you guard your walk with God? I said to preachers who I was speaking last night, I said, everything, brethren, that's important to us, we make time for it. When I'm hard, amen. I said, what time, brother, do you meet God daily? And I didn't mean to embarrass him, but his face got red. He didn't answer me. He just got through saying, amen, when I said, everything that's important, we make time for it. If we think it's important to discipline ourselves and eat, 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 eat schedule meals, sleep regular, regular time. I mean, we, if we think that's important, well, you'll find the person that, that feels that that's important. They'll do that. That which we consider important, we make time for. And yet a lot of us, if we have to be honest in our own admission, what we're saying, we don't think this business of walking with God is very important. We don't make time. We don't have a scheduled time. David said, I cry unto thee daily. And uh, I was checking the root word, the Hebrew word. A scholar was telling me as I checked it this afternoon, and it wouldn't change the meaning at all to read it like this. He says, I, I persistently cry to you, God. He has a prayer life like Jesus talked about. I'm not talking about being on his knees all the time. Now, it's obvious that there's other duties in life, and he's not saying we have to be on our knees, but he's talking about attitude of heart. Look at the third basis here. We've looked at the word for in verse 1, and there he pleads his need. We've looked at the word for in verse 2, and he pleads his consecration. He's set apart for God. Got a clean heart. Blessed the pure in heart. They'll seek God, he says. Matthew tells us. Then he, he pleads the word for in verse 3. He's pleading his persistence. And then look at verse 4. He says, Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Now tie the rest of verse number 2 with that. Look at verse 2. Thy servant trusteth in thee. This is his, he's pleading his faith here now. He's pleading his expectation. You see, to the, to the Jew, this was sort of a way that he prayed. When we understand that, we see what he was saying. Oftentimes, a Jew would pray, then he'd lift his hands up like this. Solomon, he, he, he led that great prayer and dedicated that temple. He had a platform built up, and he got down upon his knees before God and lifted those hands up before that multitude of people, the, the King Solomon, and he was saying, and really it was a way of saying, we expect something, God. He said, we hold up our hands. Give us that blessing. And he goes further than just his hands. He said, I'm lifting my soul up to thee. He's finding his... God's his object of joy and rejoicing. He said, I'm lifting it up. You're the one that I'm depending on satisfying. And really, he's simply saying in his prayer, he's, he's expecting something. Somebody says, pray and believe and you shall receive. Pray and doubt and you'll do without. <laughs> well, that's pretty well put. Uh, Jesus said, we'll have to have faith. We'll have to. I mean, why, why pray if we don't, we don't believe? That's no more than just whistling to the wind if we're not expecting an answer. 